Uh, so today uh, we want to uh, take a look at a psalm. Like I said last week, just uh, to the end of this year, I thought it might be encouraging to look at a variety of, of psalms. Uh, and um, do you know on Jewish holidays, uh, some Jewish holidays, I, uh, a series of psalms are read. We know that mostly from the Passover, uh, but on Sukkot, on Passover, and, and uh, several other holidays, we read Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And it's called the, the Hallel. Hallel. Hallel means praise. And it is a set of psalms. Now, it's not the songs of ascent. That's Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and they're called the songs of ascent. But these psalms from 113 to 118 are just called Hallel, uh, praise psalms. Now, the full name is the Egyptian Hallel, not because they were composed in Egypt, you know, like the Babylonian Talmud or something like that, you know. Uh, they're called the Egyptian Hallel is because in Psalm 114, uh, it begins with talking about Egypt. So it's called the Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian Hallel. Uh, and uh, going back... Uh, to pre-Talmudic times, that means uh, approximately the time of Yeshua, or maybe even before, these psalms were uh, very well-known and prevalent, okay? Uh, in fact, in the, uh, in the Talmud, and it's in the tractate Pesachim, well, it's, which tells you something. In other words, the tractate that talks all about Passover talks about these psalms, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And, uh, and what, it, uh, what the Talmud says is that we read these psalms because they remind us of the Exodus, the splitting of the sea, the giving of the Torah, uh, the resurrection of the dead, and the travai of the Messiah, the difficulty just before the coming of the Messiah, and hence the, the redemption uh, of the uh, Messiah. And so uh, just, uh, just so you know, uh, you might say, well, where do we read about resurrection in these uh, Psalms? But it's, it talks about being in the land of the living, the land of the living. And also we read about, uh, I will not die. Uh, and so those passages, according to tradition, uh, refer to the ultimate resurrection of the dead. And what's interesting is that when you know from past messages on Passover and, and at our Seder, uh, and we also see it in these Psalms, that there's always a looking forward to the ultimate day of redemption, that the past day of redemption is a foreshadowing of the future day of redemption. And so in these uh, uh, Psalms, there's always a looking, a looking forward. Uh, and uh, now you, if you on your own uh, uh, read Psalm 113, Psalm 114, you'll say, oh, this sounds kind of familiar. Now, we're not going to read all of them. They're kind of short, by the way, but we're not going to read all of them. We're going to focus on Psalm 118 today. But, uh, you know, uh, what we read in our uh, Haggadah is a portion of uh, these Psalms. Uh, and so clearly uh, they were well known uh, and, uh, you know, and very important 
having to do with themes of redemption, whether we're talking about the ancient uh, redemption out of Egypt or we're talking about the future redemption uh, when uh, Yeshua appears uh, again. In this set of Psalms, by the way, is the shortest Psalm of all. If you wanted to say, I want to memorize a whole Psalm. Psalm 117 is your Psalm. Okay, there's two verses. And it serves as an introduction, really, to Psalm 118. So Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. That's a great verse. And, uh, you know, we read uh, that verse, by the way, in Romans, I, I believe it's in the 15th chapter, uh, when Paul is talking about uh, the salvation of Gentiles, you know, and the glory of the salvation of Gentiles and the wonder of it. Uh, he quotes uh, Psalm 117 in verse 1. Uh, praise the Lord, all nations, all peoples. Uh, laud him, all peoples. So it's kind of interesting that even in the Psalm, which was written in ancient times long before the coming of the Messiah, there is this view of the nations will know. The nations will know God. You know, it, it kind of reminds us of Psalm 67, you know, that we read between Passover and uh, Shavuot. God blesses us uh, that all, uh, you know, that all the ends of the earth may fear him. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. There's always a look to, you know, being a light to the nations and the ultimate, uh, uh, the ultimate salvation or deliverance of this world, of the nations. So Psalm 117 Verse 1 says, praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples. Why? For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth or faithfulness of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. So when we read his loving kindness is great toward us, loving kindness is chesed. You know that, right? Uh, we talk about that every opportunity that we have, <laughs> that... Um, uh, his uh, loyal love, that's the best English for it. But, you know, it, it, it is so weighty that it's sometimes just best to say chesed without even translating it, because you can't put it all into one English word. It takes more English words. And by the way, do you know that, you know, that, and that's really true of Hebrew. The Hebrew language has a lot less words <laughs> altogether, you know, than, than English. It takes in English, it takes a lot more words to describe something than it does in, in Hebrew. So chesed is like a book, you know, and books have been written. Monographs have been written about the meaning of chesed. Uh, and it's like it's one word, you know, isn't it amazing? So, um, you know, his loyal love and all that that means, right, uh, is great toward us. Now that should remind us that should remind us of, of course, uh, Exodus chapter 34. And we will see in just a second in Psalm 118 that it's Exodus, the end of 33 and 34 is really what is in the mind of uh, the psalmist, whether it be David or someone else. Because when it says his loyal love is great toward us, it doesn't really mean like, like fantastic toward us or uh, really special toward us. Uh, what it means is like overflowing toward us, overflowing. 
right? And what do we read uh, in, uh, I, in Exodus chapter 34? Uh, that uh, that the, the chesed of God is overflowing, abounding. He abounds, overflows uh, in, uh, in chesed. And this is an echo uh, of that. And then uh, the emet of God is forever. Uh, the faithfulness of God. When it says here the truth of God, it doesn't mean that true versus false. It means true more like, like true blue, you know? faithful. Uh, we can count on him. You know, that's really what it is referring to. The faithfulness of God is forever. Praise the Lord. And that really is the theme of Psalm 118. So Psalm 117, it's two verses long. You can memorize, I'll bet you can memorize that by the end of the day. <laughs> and then you can say, I have a whole Psalm memorized. But it serves as a marvelous introduction to Psalm 118 about the loyal love and faithfulness of God lasting forever. Uh, and of course, uh, it's from the point of view of this is what he has done in Israel, but for the purpose of testifying to the nations of the reality of the one God, the God of Israel. So in Psalm 118, uh, it has altogether uh, 29 verses. It's the longest of the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, six Psalms. It's the longest one, and it is really the, uh, the high point or the climax of these great Psalms of praise. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting, of course. It contains a couple of verses uh, that are often quoted in the Brit Hadashah often quoted in, in the all four Gospels, in the book of Acts, uh, in, uh, alluded to in the book of Ephesians, uh, and First Peter. <laughs> so, you know, uh, what it tells us is, is that in the late Second Temple period, this psalm was really well-known and prevalent. Now, what's interesting is uh, I wanted to read something to you so that just so that you know where uh, it's coming from, right? If I was using a PowerPoint, I would quote it. I would write it on there, but I'm just going to read it and I'm going to tell you where it's from. This is uh, from the Art Scroll Tanakh series. This is a, a Jewish commentary on Psalms. Now you might say, but that's a pretty little book, right? Well, uh, this is the pocket edition. This is one of five uh, volumes you can get it in a much larger one, but this is the pocket edition. So for Psalm 118, in the introduction, this is what it says. I'm not going to read the whole introduction, uh, but what I'll say is, is that the introduction is basically saying that, there, that Psalm 118, you have to look at it two different ways, okay? One is that this is the testimony of David, the testimony of David. But on a much uh, larger level, it is the testimony of the national redemption of Israel. Uh, and uh, what we would say is there's also an in-between level, and that is Yeshua. Uh, and uh, we'll explain that. But this is what it says here about the national level of redemption, that what Psalm 118, to the, in the Jewish world, what it is referring to. On a national level, this composition reflects the joy which Israel will experience at the final redemption. 
when Israel will return to its former glory and will revive its noble traditions and institutions. Every segment of Jewish society will be affected by God's concern and, will, and all will enthusiastically proclaim his kindness or his chesed endures forever. Uh, and, uh, and, and so it's, uh, it's kind of interesting, right? Uh, that this uh, is said, according to this, is that Psalm 118 uh, is like a song that will be sung at the final redemption, pointing to the Messianic era, in other words. Uh, uh, saying it today, but with the coming of the Messiah in mind. And that may give us a hint as to why this psalm was so well-known and evidently popular to use that term, uh, uh, when uh, Yeshua came and how readily Yeshua uh, identifies uh, himself uh, in this psalm uh, and how uh, Peter, especially in Acts chapter 4, identifies Yeshua in this psalm. And then in, uh, later on in the letter that he wrote in 1 Peter, uh, he uh, identifies not only Yeshua, but the body of Messiah, the community of Messiah followers with this psalm. So we can understand its messianic import, especially coming at the end of these six psalms of praise. All right. So we read here, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his chesed is forever. We sing a song, don't we? Uh, uh, with those words in it. Uh, and here it is. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, this is not the only place where you read those exact words. Uh, one place uh, that you read them is in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It kind of gives us a historical uh, context uh, uh, for these words. In uh, First Chronicles uh, chapter uh, 16, this talks about David bringing the ark uh, into Jerusalem. And it says, And they brought in the ark of God and placed it inside the tent where David had pitched it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before a God. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, and to everyone a loaf of bread and a portion of meat and a raisin cake. And he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and to thank and to praise the, the Lord God of Israel, Asaph, and who wrote a number of psalms, by the way, Asaph, the chief, and second to him, Zechariah, this is not the prophet Zechariah, it's a different Zechariah. Then Yael, uh, Shemi Ramoath, uh, Yechiel, uh, Mattitiah, Eliav, Beniah, Obed-Edom, and Yael with musical instruments, harps, lairs, and also Asaph played loud-sounding cymbals, right? And Beniah and Yaziel, the, the priests, blew trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. 
Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. And, uh, and here you see, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make his deeds known, uh, you know, known on, uh, known on the earth. And when you read all the way uh, through this, uh, you are clearly certainly reading about the loving kindness of God. And if you go down to verse 34, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations. Uh, and, uh, and then the last part of it says in verse 36, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. So this goes back to the days of David, this, um, you know, these words, and perhaps David even wrote this psalm. But of course, we know these words mostly from Psalm 136, where it's repeated over and over again, right? In Psalm 136, we read, uh, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. And then it goes through the, you know, the history of, uh, of being redeemed out of Egypt, the parting of the sea, uh, and, you know, and, and so on, and God's protection uh, of, of Israel. And we also read about it in uh, another place would be Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 33, it's kind of interesting uh, because what Jeremiah does is he, he sees this phrase from this psalm uh, as uh, something uh, to uh, look forward to, you know, in the days of Messiah. For example, uh, you read in verse uh, 7, uh, and this uh, talks about, well, I should start in verse 6, in, in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah 33. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing, and I will heal them, and I will re reveal to them an abundance of peace and truth. This is, you know, Israel, right? And I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel, and I will rebuild them as they were at first, and I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. And it, and it shall be to me a name of joy, praise, glory before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear of all the good that I do for them. And they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I shall make for it. Thus says the Lord, yet again there shall be heard in this place, of which you say it is a waste without man and without beast, that is, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, that, uh, that are desolate, without man, without inhabitant, without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And of those who bring a thank offering into the house of the Lord, for I will restore uh, the fortunes of the land as they were at first, declares the Lord. So you clearly see a messianic meaning to uh, uh, this phrase. And as, you know, as Stacy was saying about words of hope, uh, and certainly that's what you have here 
in Psalm 118, we're not just reading about something that took place in the past. We are talking about something that took place in the past that should give us hope for the future. But it is very interesting how even the prophet Jeremiah, and then if you go all the way into the Second Temple period, that's when the New Covenant takes place, that you see uh, a look to the future of the coming of the Messiah. So we say here, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Again, this should remind us of uh, Exodus chapter 33, because in Exodus chapter 33, that's where Moses says, show me, uh, you know, show me your glory, God, show me your glory. And God responds by saying, my goodness, I will show you my goodness, my good my good, the good about me, my goodness will pass by you. And that it takes place in chapter 34, when Moses is standing in the cleft of the rock and, and we read, you know, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, abounding in loving kindness, forgiving, and all of those benevolent attributes, all of those attributes that describe indeed the goodness of God. And it just goes to show you that that passage in Exodus played a very important role throughout Jewish history in the minds uh, of the people that gave them hope for the future. There uh, in Exodus, we know because of the golden calf, God showed great forgiveness uh, and restored Israel to himself as they went out into uh, the uh, wilderness. David uh, takes it and understands it as applying to himself, you know, uh, and to Israel in his day. And then hundreds of years later, Jeremiah takes it and understands it, not, not for his day, but something to look forward to because God is judging the nation, but it's not the end. And then we come to the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures, and we see uh, how this was understood uh, to be messianic. So hopefully it encourages us in our own walk with the Lord as we recognize uh, that, uh, you know, we have a lot to look forward to in the coming of the Messiah, and we'll see how we can apply it to our lives today. The first four verses of Psalm 118 is like a call to worship, a call to give praise to God. It says, Oh, let Israel say his chesed, you know, ki le'olam chazdo, his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say le'olam chazdo, his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. In other words, let Israel, let the house of Aaron, let everybody who fears God, whoever that might be, Say, proclaim his loyal love lasts forever. You know, it is really a, a, a great word of praise to God that is birthed out of the travai of the world. It is birthed out of the problems, the difficulties, uh, whether we're talking about Israel, whether we're talking about David, whether we're talking about our, whether we're talking about the person of Yeshua or we're talking about ourselves, we can proclaim this word because we have come out of something. 
not because we're on easy street, but because even in the darkness, even in great difficulty, we acknowledge and experience the presence of God or from the perspective of having been delivered or the ultimate perspective of the Olam Haba. So you read now in verse five, the testimony. Now, what most scholars say, this is the testimony of a king. So perhaps it's King David. For it, from my distress, it's a great word here in Hebrew, my, my anxiety, my anguish. You know, when you just read it, we just say, from my distress, I called upon the Lord. But you know, in real life, this is coming from, as we would say in Yiddish, it's coming from the kishkes. <laughs> you know what that means? It's coming from our ins it's coming from his insides. It's, it's coming from his inner person, from my anguish. You know, when you experience anguish, it's like the whole world is closing in. It's all darkness around me. Or uh, what I see in the world is depressing me. And certainly we can probably all relate to that on, on some level, see? But, you know, he doesn't say, from my distress, I read up on everything going on with the distress so I could completely understand this distress. So, uh, you know, that, uh, that I can form an opinion about this distress uh, and about how bad things are. Uh, and I'm obsessed with being distressed. No, he, he doesn't do that, does he? He says, from my distress, I called upon the Lord. I reached out to God. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. You know, that's a very interesting word. What it really means is like in, in modern Hebrew, something akin to like a boulevard, like a really wide road, like with lots of lanes going both ways, you know? Uh, and the idea is, is that the Lord answered me and took me out of this narrow, constricted trauma and open up a wide road for me and like set me free. That's the import of what it is saying, that he set me free. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. I wonder how many of us can say the Lord is for me. You know, he has my back. This is what David is saying. Well, you know, he was, he, he had a really a very difficult personal life, David did. Whether we're talking about the period uh, when he was a shepherd and he wasn't even considered to be king, or we're talking about the period when Saul is chasing him and his life is in danger where he wrote a number of Psalms, or we're talking about when he is king and uh, he is betrayed by, of all people, his sons. Uh, you know, he lived a very difficult life. Yes, he was victorious in battle and so on and give thanks to God and, and, and all of that. But he lived a very difficult personal life. You know, it just reminds me now that I'm just saying this, that, you know, when you look at David, we see like a veneer of joy in the sense that, yes, he, in his career, he was victorious. We can say he had a great career as a king. But he suffered a lot in his personal life. Maybe that's us. 
You know, what people see or in my career and, you know, what I do publicly, things are good. But, you know, David in his anguish cried out to God and he knew that God heard him. And I would encourage us to relate to this psalm in that way. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Better to find, to rely on God, to have our confidence on God, to have our eyes fixed on Him. And of course, from the perspective of, of being a Messiah follower, you know, have our eyes on Yeshua. Uh, and just as it says in Hebrews chapter 11, keep your eyes fixed on Him, you know. And uh, these are great words because when we, this was the secret, by the way, of Rav Shaul, of Paul. This was his secret of being able to be content with having a lot, having a little, because God never changed. He could rely on God, and no matter how bad it was, he knew uh, that death is swallowed up by life, and that his life was enveloped uh, in God, and that there's nothing uh, that anyone could do to him uh, to separate him from God or from his ultimate destiny. Uh, in the Lord. You know, uh, in a recent Bible study on this, in talking about the fact it's better to trust in God, take refuge in God than in man, better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. I said that, you know, oftentimes what we end up doing is uh, we expect people to serve us in a particular way. And if they don't, I, uh, you know, then it becomes uh, a root of bitterness and difficult to forgive. For example, I said, uh, do you know that uh, the role of a husband is not to uh, be the source of happiness for his wife, or the, the role of a wife is, is not to be the source of happiness or just, you know, the source of joy and of, of satisfaction uh, uh, from, you know, to, from her husband or to her husband, meaning that, you know, that is uh, weighing a heavy mantle on someone, or whether we're talking about a particular institution, or a friend, or our parents, or our children, or whatever it is. I know because people will ultimately disappoint us on some level, right? People will ultimately on some level disappoint us. And if we have put all our eggs in that basket, it becomes very difficult to forgive. But when we put our eggs in the basket of God, when, you know, no matter how good or bad things are, that our reliance is really on, my confidence is really on him. Then when people disappoint us by, you know, it makes it a lot easier to forgive when our eggs are in the basket of God. And so he's saying here, not that, you know, when he says, what can man do to me? Well, a lot, right? People can do really horrible things to, uh, to uh, one another. But he's speaking rhetorically here. You know, he's, uh, he's making a point that, that nothing can separate me from God. And when I trust in God and I understand the expectations of God, he never changes. Uh, and that I can get through anything in this life. And that is indeed what Paul meant when he said, I can live with great means or little means. 
uh, no matter what, you know, and in, in 2 Corinthians, you know, he writes about being shipwrecked. He, he writes about, uh, you know, all different, uh, all, all different uh, difficult situations, but, but that he's able to be sustained. Why can he say that? Because his trust is in God. Maybe I should read a little portion uh, of that. In uh, 2 Corinthians, in the, fourth, uh, in the fourth chapter, you probably are familiar with this. He says this, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power of God may not be uh, from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. What he means by that is, is that his trust is in God. All these bad things are happening, but his trust is in God, so he can keep moving forward. And that is indeed what the writer of the book of Hebrews meant when he writes about having our, with such a great cloud of witnesses of people that have suffered in faith, we ourselves, when we keep our eyes fixed on him, can keep moving forward. We are living in a day when, when we are very uh, nervous or angry. We, we don't like things the way they are uh, in our world on so many levels. But as Messiah followers, we have got to keep our eyes on Yeshua and not sink into the quicksand of uh, the uh, anguish of everything going on in this world. Yes, if God desires that, that uh, he's called us to, uh, you know, um, uh, serve in, in this world in, in some way, you know, well, then all, that's fine. But our calling, or I should say it like this, uh, our way of life is to be fixed on him. And hopefully that gives us encouragement and not discouragement. And so that's why this is a great psalm of encouragement. A testimony that the loyal love of God is forever. God is good. That is how we keep ourselves staying above the fray and able to keep moving forward and being a testimony, being different in this world. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. Now, uh, in uh, uh, rabbinic literature, this is often viewed as uh, the history of Israel, but also looking forward to the travai of the Messiah, as it's called. The sufferings just before the coming of the Messiah. It's very interesting. Uh, you read in verse 13, you pushed me violently so that I was falling, speaking to the enemies of Israel. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my deliverance. That should remind us of Psalm 27 that we read about in the month of Elul, leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. God is my strength and my song. And I think a challenge for us is, is he my strength, and my song. Or are these just nice Bible words to say? Is he my strength? 
in 2021, is God going to be our strength, our joy, our song? Are we really trusting in God no matter what? We react and we respond as godly people to whatever's going on, but we don't place our hope in, institu in human institutions and in other people. That way, we're able to keep moving forward. And that is how we can be a tremendous testimony in this world. Now, we read, The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Well, you know, when you talk about the right hand of the Lord, uh, that's the power of God, the power of God. But as uh, New Covenant uh, believers, uh, we know the right hand of God, that's where Yeshua is, uh, you know, at the right hand of the Father. And so, you know, uh, from that perspective, we can say Yeshua, you know, uh, is exalted. And we certainly read that. I don't have time for all the verses. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, in the Brit Hadashah, the, the Lord uh, raised him up, right? And exalted, and exalted him, right? And, and so Yeshua uh, is exalted. But I wanted to read something again from this little commentary about verse 17, where it says, I shall not die uh, but, uh, but live. Here we read, uh, I shall not die when I relive, after I am resurrected. This alludes to the statement in the Talmud that the righteous who will be resurrected will never again return to dust. Their restored bodies will be endowed with a spiritual dimension uh, which will make them perfectly attuned to the performance of God's uh, of God's will. And, and so it is uh, 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 quite interesting when it talks about here this issue of, uh, do you understand the import of that? I shall not die, but live. What did Yeshua say? Yeshua said, said if you believe in me, uh, you know, you, you will not die, but live. He didn't mean you'll never physically die, but you will have life forever with God. And that is not, Yeshua did not, quote unquote, like invent that. He was reiterating a belief of Israel. But what he's saying is it comes through him. That is what was so radical about Yeshua. Not the idea of living forever, but that it comes through him. And so what do we read here? I shall not die, but live and tell of the works of the Lord. Yeshua is the right hand of God. In him we will live. The sting of death is removed. And then it says, The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Yes, God may discipline us, but he will never destroy, destroy us. Yes, we may die physically. Uh, you know, these words were very powerful in the history of Israel, and by the way, in the history of the believers, when people would die for the faith, 
this passage uh, is a key passage when it comes to uh, martyrdom in Judaism and, by the way, in Christianity uh, as, uh, as well. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. Yeshua, may I suggest, is indeed the way. He is the gate. He is the way in to the righteousness of God. He is the right hand, and he is indeed the gate. I, I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. That is what we say as Messiah followers. We have been delivered from bondage, no matter what our state of life in this world is. We always have an assurance of hope. What do we read at the end of Romans chapter 8? Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. From the love of God. All right. Now, we come to verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous uh, in our eyes. This, these two verses certainly uh, you know, are, are very famous to us. Now, uh, in its context, it's either talking about David having been rejected and then exalted, or it is talking about Israel. A lot of uh, uh, Jewish commentators will say it's talking about Israel you know, the, the persecutions of Israel, but then uh, being, uh, being restored. But clearly, in the Brit uh, Hadashah, in the uh, New Covenant, uh, this uh, uh, passage uh, refers to Yeshua. I'm going to turn, well, in uh, Matthew 21, it's, it's important that we see uh, this in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew 21, here, Yeshua, first, he enters into Jerusalem, right? On this, on the, uh, his triumphal entry or his royal entry into Jerusalem, right? This is where the people are waving the branches, right? This comes from Psalm 118. Uh, and even though I, perhaps this is referring to Sukkot, uh, these Psalms were read at Passover, time in the days of Yeshua. Uh, and it, it's amazing. It says uh, in verse uh, 9, uh, it says, And the multitude going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And if you look in Psalm 118, you read in verse... Uh, 25 and 26. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. What that tells us is, is that, is that again, at that time, this psalm in people's minds had to do with the coming of the Messiah. And they understood Yeshua as the king coming into Jerusalem victoriously. And so they quote, this part of Psalm 118. Then a little while goes by, and Yeshua tells a story, right? It's uh, later on, actually, uh, in the same chapter, right? Kind of interesting. A little bit later, and during that same week, he tells a story. 
and it is a story about a, a vineyard, right? So it says in verse 33, uh, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. He is telling a parable that is found in the book of Isaiah in the fifth chapter where they all understood that the vineyard is representing Israel, okay? And in Isaiah, the vineyard is, is, un, is not taken care of, uh, and it's like a very sad situation for the vineyard. Yeshua is building on what Isaiah is saying. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. And when the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and kicked another and stoned a third, again he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. So we see the people taking care of the vineyard are not doing a very good job. Uh, and when uh, the uh, vine dresser sent people to collect uh, the, the harvest, they killed them, right? This represents the prophets of Israel. This is what Yeshua is saying, that the prophets came, you know, uh, and, uh, and you who have been in, in uh, who've been given the responsibility of overseeing the vineyard have not done a very good job. And then he says, but afterward he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. This clearly, of course, is Yeshua, right? But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard came, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring out those, those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. So now Yeshua says, okay, this is what it all means. He says, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. And so he relates the stone of uh, Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected, he relates it to the son of the vine dresser coming and being killed, who is, of course, himself, right? And so now he says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God, which is like the vineyard, will be taken away from you and will be given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When he says it will be the kingdom of God will be given to another nation, he does not mean he does not mean taken away from Israel and given to others, another nation. What he means is another people are going to have the account of, are going to be accountable for the vineyard. And that is, as we read in other passages, the apostles, uh, Yeshua and his, the remnant of Israel. It is Yeshua and the remnant of Israel are the ones who now are the, the building blocks of this kingdom to lead, all, to, to heal the vineyard and to be a light to the nations, you see? 
And so this passage is used in a number of different places. And you read in First uh, Peter chapter 2, he says this. In verse 4, And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua HaMashiach. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He goes on to say, But you are a, cho a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So it goes back, he's talking about the remnant of Israel and all who believe. The remnant of Israel and all who uh, believe. And so how important it is for us to understand when you go back to um, when you go back to uh, Psalm uh, one eighteen here, when he says the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing; it is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, so the builders here, according to the Brit Hadashah, the builders are the is Israel or the. Uh, those who have been given the responsibility, like the shepherds of Israel, or the, you know the, the priesthood, and 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 so on. Uh, uh, the this one who is misunderstood, as we read in Isaiah fifty-three, he has become the chief cornerstone. This is what God has done, and we become the living stones built on that chief cornerstone. And finally, this is. I, I, in Ephesians chapter 2, this is alluded to here uh, at the end of the chapter in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. With the, the saints are the remnant of Israel. And are God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling for God uh, in the Spirit. And so may we rejoice uh, and know uh, that uh, Yeshua has indeed come, the Messiah has come, and that our victory is in Him. He is the stone, yes, which was rejected, but He's become the chief cornerstone. And he holds this building together, the community of Messiah followers. And that is all the more reason why we need to be focused on him. And we can have confidence in no matter uh, what happens, you know, in our lives. In verse 27, 28, and 29, the Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. 
Thou art my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is indeed everlasting. And so may we be able to hang our hat on that. And I hope that whatever anguish we may be experiencing, as we, it may be in our personal lives, uh, national lives, or global lives, whatever anguish we may be experiencing, may we not dwell on the anguish, but turn indeed to God and find solace, find peace, find hope, find satisfaction, and know that it has been assured to us in the stone which rose from the dead and who holds us up. Yeshua is the right hand of God. Yeshua is indeed the gate of righteousness. Yeshua is indeed the stone. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, um, I pray, uh, Lord, that we really would be able to focus our attention and hope on you and not on human institutions or on people. Lord, I pray, God, that even though today in our world there's a lot of things that could be dividing the body of Messiah, if we keep our attention on you, Lord, may we do so, that we will be empowered and really make a difference in this world. Lord, may we remember who we are, living stones built on the foundation. Lord, and we know it doesn't necessarily mean brick and mortar, and it doesn't necessarily mean numbers of people, but faithfulness. Lord, may we be strong in our faithfulness so that we can withstand whatever, whatever is happening. Lord, as we remember those words, Lord, your loving kindness lasts forever. God, what can man do to me? May our confidence indeed be in you. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.